Chapter 29 of Hellenic History. This is a LibriVox contribution. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hellenic History by George Willis Botsford. 29. Hellenistic Culture, Part 1. 337. 30 before Christ. First, city construction and art. City construction, Brienne. The Hellenistic age, with its conquest and colonization, was a period of city construction. So far as the nature of the surface permitted, the builders applied the principle of straight streets crossing each other at right angles. The requirements of defense, however, still left the ways narrow and reduced the public squares to the smallest areas. The recent excavation of Prien, a town of about 4,000 inhabitants, has given us a clearer idea of this period that we could have been able to acquire in any other way. It stands on a hay with steep descents on every side, so that the need of fortification was minimized. The circuit wall of unknown height is two meters in thickness and is pierced by three gates covered with round arches. Arriving from the port, we passed through the cemetery and into the western gate, thence along a narrow street to the provision market, where the small dealers retailed bread, meat and other victuals. Adjoining it is the great market, the center of public life. In the middle is a large altar, and along the border, on all four sides, runs a colonnade, which fronts a succession of stores, temples, and other buildings that surround the market. The north side is occupied by a sacred portico, in which the people held festival and sat on holidays at banquets provided by the city's expense. Other public buildings are the assembly hall, with a sitting capacity of about 500, serving for the meetings of citizens and of the council, the theatre and various temples. That of Athena, the gift of Alexander, was elegant and artistic, the pride of the city. As a Greek community, the Prienians could not live without a stadium and a gymnasium. Public life. Although they drew their chief subsistence from their farms nearby, they also manufactured a few wares which they shipped abroad through their port. Public life was wholesome. Candidates for office sought the votes of their fellow citizens, and as magistrates they devoted the share of their private income to the improvement of the city and the entertainment of the people. In return, the citizens granted them exemption from public burdens, front seats at the theatre and festivals, and honorary statues, many of which were set up in the sacred portico. The people were industrious, intelligent, moral, and happy. Larger cities differed chiefly in the proportionally greater attention to industry than commerce, and the increased contrasts between the few rich and the many poor in the splendor of public buildings and of the homes of the wealthy. Temples showed in an accentuated degree 
the features whose beginnings were witnessed by the second half of the fourth century. A remarkable development of the age was the great altar of Zeus at Pergamum, about 100 feet square. The construction may be studied in the picture. The actual altar stood on the top of this monument in the centre of a court surrounded by an ionic colonnade. The frieze is described below among the sculptures. Notable, too, was the gigantic lighthouse at Alexandria on the islands of Pharos, which gave its name to the structure. It was more than a hundred meters high. The summit was reached within by a ramp surrounding the open shaft in which an elevator conveyed the material for the light. Water supply and sanitation. In choosing a site for a city, regard was had to the water supply as well as to agricultural and commercial advantages. For example, Prien had abundant spring water brought into the city in large earthen pipes, filtered and distributed to the houses through smaller pipes. The larger aqueducts of more populous cities were subterranean channels lined with stone and cement. In this period, increased attention was paid to sanitation. Reaset Smyrna, new built, after lying for centuries in ruins, the refuse from the houses lay in the streets to be washed about over the pavement by rains, Ephesus seems to have been well provided with sewers, and in some, if not in all cities, there were officials who had charge of sanitation, and in some dwellings at Prien have been found sanitary arrangements comparable with those of today. Family life Family life still secluded itself from the public gaze. A dwelling at Prien presented to the street a bare windowless wall, pierced at one end by a single door. In visiting the home of an average citizen, we pass through his door into a waiting room, and thence into an open court with cemented floor. This space, whence the family received their air and light, is surrounded by rooms. The one at the back, adorned with two columns, is the living room of the house. Here stands the altar. Here guests were received, and here the family usually gathered at meals. In a house so sumptuous as to have a second story, the upper floor was occupied by the women. The houses of the wealthy, imitating the royal palaces, developed a system of two courts, each surrounded by a colonnade, and usually adorned with a fountain and flowers. In the inner court centred the private life of the family and the industrial activities of the household. About it were the rooms in which the female slaves lived and plied their labours, such as spinning, weaving, grinding grain and baking. Here, too, was the sleeping room of the parents, another for the daughters and one or more dining rooms. The outer or front court, open as it was to guests, was only richer and more stately. The building throughout was beautified with statues, mural paintings and colored mables with finely woven and embroidered tapestries and some of the floors with mosaics. The furniture was of bronze, ivory and rare imported woods. 
the construction and furnishing of such a home drew upon the resources of the whole civilized world and was only rendered possible by an extensive commerce on sea and land sculptures of the age among the extant sculptures of the age are reliefs which decorated public buildings perhaps the most striking representatives of this class are to be found at pergamon this city the seat of attalus and his dynasty is the only hellenistic capital thus far throughout excavated so much architecture and sculpture have been found there so well are we acquainted with the material civilization of the place that it must be taken as the starting point for a study of the royal capitals of the age attalus the first two hundred forty one one hundred and ninety seven secured the peace of his kingdom by an overwhelming defeat of the galatians a memorial of this deed was the frieze which adorned the exterior of the monument on which stood the great altar of zeus it represents the combat of gods and giants as a symbol of the struggle of civilization against barbarism as the frieze is above seven feet in height the colossal features give a physical impression of the superhuman to the pergaminis it was a historical picture of living national interest in facial expression and in bodily attitude in the animation of the gods and the fury of the giants in tenseness of muscle and heat of action we see the spirit of scopas highly accentuated the whole scene may be well described as a mass of supermen convulsively struggling a comparison with the frieze of the parthenon or even the frieze of the mausoleum shows a marked degeneration of taste despite its imposing magnificence this relief offends by its exaggerations and by the sacrifice of naturalness and simplicity to the desire for effect the dying goal a more realistic memorial of the same victory was a group of bronze figures representing a battle between greeks and galatians although all the originals have been lost there remain marble copies of several figures among the latter is the dying gaul in the capitol museum at rome it has the advantage of being nearly contemporary with the original and of being itself the product of an anatolian artist who either belonged to the pergamene school or worked under its influence strongly realistic it represents both the ethnic and the individual peculiarities of the warrior the coarse hair pushed straight up from the forehead the moustache the necklace the hardened skin the fortitude that overcomes the death pain of the ugly stab in his side we admire the perfect anatomy made possible by the medical science of the age and in brief the fidelity to nature displayed by every part of the work in the consideration of the pergamini sculptures above offered the characteristics of the age have been indicated although it is still possible here and there to find examples of restrained and dignified sculptures the general features depart widely from the classical standard the tendencies which we discovered in their infancy in the fourth century 
have become more pronounced. Self-restraint has waned and the emotions have grown strong even to exaggeration. In portrait sculpture and intense realism expresses and overemphasizes individual traits and even defects. The posture of human form becomes theatrical, sometimes violent. Groupings, draperies and the general composition assume complex and elaborate forms. Patrons of Art The great patrons of art were the Hellenistic kings who ruled the divided empire of Alexander. While preserving a degree of a Hellenic taste, they demanded an art commensurate with their own wealth and splendor. Palaces, city halls, theatres, and many other forms of architecture with the decorations of fitting intricacy and elaboration. To these demands, the artists responded with a technique that was equal to every emergency. Aphrodite of Melos Made of Antium A statue which is still widely regarded as the most beautiful of the age is the Aphrodite of Melos. We do not know the sculpture or the reason for the peculiar attitude. Perhaps the right hand held the drapery. The left foot is advanced and rests on slightly elevated ground. The statue is made of two pieces of marble, the unclad part of finer quality than the other. We see, too, in the style, a combination of the heavy Theidian drapery with a Praxitilian head. Such eclecticism was common in the age, but seldom has it been affected with equal skill. Grace and dignity are more nearly balanced than is usual in this period. Another woman figure of the age, composed of two kinds of marble, is the so-called Maid of Antium. It was found in Nero's villa at Antium, whence it was removed in 1909 to the Museum of the Terme at Rome. The head and right shoulder are of pure white, the rest of the inferior material. She may be the daughter, or possibly the servant, of a priest of Apollo. On a tray she carries the implements of divination, and seems to be in the act of making a choice of the objects in an oracular response to an inquiry. The strong athletic form, the masculine proportions, and the sturdy stride benefit an attendant upon Apollo far more than average girl. Though some have assigned it to the 5th century and others to Praxiteles, it seems rather to be Hellenistic, and in that case it must be classed among the most distinguished statues of the age. The texture of the gone is unique, the attitude is natural, and the features and facial expression are charming. Amid the thousands of sculptures that people the museums of Rome, it is a figure that impresses the visitor with its rare personality. Nike of Samothrace Another female statue deserving of mention is the Nike of Samothrace, which commemorates the naval victory of Demetrius Poliorchetes, stormer of cities, gained off Cyprus in 306. 
The monument was originally placed on a rocky high of Samothrace, whence it has been removed to the Louvre. The goddess stands erect on the prow of a ship, her wings expanded, her garments clinging in magnificent masses about her gigantic form, and streaming wildly behind her, blown by the onrush of the vessel. The head and arms are lost, but from her image on a coin we learn that she held on her lips a trumpet, through which she heralded the glorious deed of her fosterling. It is the most splendid victory created by the ancient world. The Laocoon The Laocoon is a product of the Rhodian school of sculptures, which was clearly akin to that of Pergamon. This group belongs to the first century before Christ and is here offered as an example of violent sensationalism. Laocoon and his two sons are being crushed in the folds of two enormous snakes. The intricate group thus formed is rocked with great technical skill. The violent death agonies of the three persons expressed in the convulsions of facial and bodily muscles are amazingly realistic. The anatomy is perfect, with one exception. For unknown reasons, the boys are given the forms of grown men. The chief fault lies in the choice of agony as a subject for sculptural treatment. The face of the father, too, should express not pain alone, but also horror and physical effort. The snakes are whole and true to nature. They are not large enough to crush a man, and serpents which depend upon choking their victims do not bite. Despite these and other faults, glaring indeed when measured by Phaedian and Praxitelian standards, the group is a work of positive merit, else it would not have excited the admiration of Renaissance artists. Life at Rhodes was commercial, like that of today, and the prominent aim of art, as in our own time, was to display the resources of wealth and the mighty ambition of a trading people in the production of the intricate, the ornate, and the stupendous. Thus, the Colossus of Rhodes finds its counterpart in our liberty enlightening the world, an appropriated gift to the United States. Children in Art Perhaps the most pleasing branch of Hellenistic art comprises representations of real-life designated genre. For the first time in history, an interest began to be felt in children. Their physique was now carefully observed. Their facial expressions and their playful attitudes were naturally reproduced. We cannot doubt that this artistic development corresponded to a real change in social life. As the center of interest shifted from politics to the home and the powerful impetus came from various directions to humanism, it was inevitable that children should attract their share of attention. At the same time, men sought a refuge from the artificiality of the city in the innocence and the simplicity of rural life and of childhood. Thus, it was in the spirit of the idyls of Theocritus that the sculpture created in relief scenes of rustic simplicity or statues of peasants and fisherfolk as well as of children. Deification of cities 
A contrast to these light subjects is the deification of cities. Throughout Greek history, impersonation had been common, and city-states had generally been represented by their tutelary deities. In the 3rd century, Eutychides, a pupil of Lysippus, wrote for the people of Antioch a gilded bronze statue of the fortune, Tike, of their city. The deity was easily identified with Antioch itself. She is seated on a rock, as was the city, and the river flowing at her feet is represented by a swimming youth. The bunch of grain stalks in her hand symbolizes the fertility of the river valley, while the mural crown, the first known in art, signifies the walls of defense. The statue became an object of worship, and the idea was gradually extended to the city and to Rome. Painting in the Hellenistic Age The Hellenistic Age was as productive of painting as of every other form of art, but owing to the perishable material, our knowledge of it is imperfect. The most famous painter of the age was Apelles of Kos, a man of marvellous industry and a great master of technique. He used it but for colours, black, white, red and yellow. He alone had the art of covering the finished painting with a black glaze that improved the work by toning down the colours while protecting it from dampness. His painting of Aphrodite rising from the sea was especially celebrated. Brought to Rome with other booty from Hellas, it found a place in the temple of the deified Julius Caesar. We are fortunate in having a number of portraits on panels that had covered the faces of Greek and Jewish mummies in Egypt. Although belonging to the early Christian era, they well illustrate the work of the same kind in the Hellenistic period. The artists were without distinction, and yet the portraits are remarkably lifelike, and the colors are still bright. The wall paintings of Pompeii are also but a continuation of the house decorations of the Hellenistic age. They were hastily wrought by mechanics, yet many of the figures and groups are admirable. Doubtless, the ultimate originals of many were the famous works of Hellenic masters. Of such lineage was the Medea, meditating on the murder of her sons. In a first struggle of soul, the mother instinct is overcome by rage against her unfaithful husband. Mosaics An art new to the Greeks of this age learned through contact with the Orient, was mosaic-making. It could thrive nowhere but amid an abundance of stones of various colours, and, as the work was exceedingly slow and painstaking, it could be carried on only where labour was cheap. These conditions were met in Egypt, and Alexandria was the seat of manufacture of many mosaics now found in Greek and Roman lands. The pattern was either a piece of tapestry or a picture. For example, the original of the Battle of Issus, found in a private house at Pompeii, was a painting of the conflict by Apelles or other great master. Darius, already beaten, is in flight. 
in his fear he drives his chariot wheels over the dead and dying but king-like still he turns about to order succor to a fallen noble farther to our left the figure of alexander mounted on bucephalus stands out distinctly as he charges in pursuit it is remarkable that with scarcely more than two thousand men and horses the artist has created the effect of a great battle as we gaze upon the picture we see the melee of combatants in deadly strife we seem to hear the groans of the dying the clash of the lances the clamour of struggling horsemen undoubtedly the original was among the great historical paintings of the ancient world End of chapter 29